She chokes on the cookie. Matai, there's absolutely nothing funny about my job right now. Like it was funny oh, when God. you'd get when you'd get one or two shit papers every, you know, two to three weeks. It's another when you get like fifteen and because the pandemic has been waging for over like a year now, people, myself included, we're all just very fatigued, right? Like you get fifteen papers and they're all bad. It's not indicative of the fact that like, oh, students don't care or they're not invested or what have you. It's that they're so worn down and you're extracting so much out of them. This is the best you're going to get. Um, it, then again, it's, it doesn't make it any easier on me, but... <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the 15th episode of the Overanalyst podcast. Hope you're all doing well, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Brady, or The Overanalyst, on Twitch and associated platforms, joined, as always, by my good friends Martina, or Seth the Overwitch. Hi. And Mate, or Comrade Potato. Sup? And today we're going to be introducing a slightly different format that's going to be interspersed throughout our topically focused episodes as we work to develop some of those special interest or topical episodes into in a bit greater depth. And also, just to provide more of a conversational air to the podcast, sporadically we're going to release episodes like this, where we just have a freeform discussion about news surrounding the gaming industry, games or we've been playing, or other media we've been engaging with over the past couple of weeks, and just kind of share with you what our media consuming experience has been like. Um, this is like one notch of sophistication above one of those food blogs, but we hope mm. you enjoy it nonetheless. Basically what we're gonna do is make you uh, realize that we are actually playing video games in our free time. We're not just talking about them, so. Yes, yeah. no, we're actually playing video games, meaning don't expect to hear about Star Citizen anytime soon on this podcast. <laughs> or it's cyberpunk, you know, we forgot to shit on cyberpunk for a while, so I feel like no. we need to um, rectify that. Well, hey, no new patches were released, so it seems like CDPR forgot to shit on cyberpunk for a while, too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I'm really enjoying the Microsoft Solitaire uh, game. <laughs> Way more than I did cyberpunk. You know what? At least it's been reliable for the most part, except when for some weird reason I think they tried to offer a payment plan for Solitaire for over 20 years. Oh no, it's constantly, they constantly go, like, you don't want ads? Give us money. Oh, have an ad. You don't like it? Give us money. Solitaire. <laughs> Microtransactions in Solitaire. If you want to have kings on top of your deck, you need to pay four ninety nine. No, they're not shitty like that, but it's just like, oh, yeah, you want to yeah. see ads? That's fine. There's like a 20 bucks a premium a payment plan. Or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So on that glorious note, let's get underway. Maybe just starting by going around the table and discussing what we've been playing recently and our thoughts on those games. Like quick impressions, reviews, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, who would like to start? Uh, Mata, you you gave us that scathing critique of Microsoft Solitaire. <laughs> what else have you been um, messing around with? Oh, well, the new Diablo season started, so I started up with that. Uh, did most of like the journey quests that they give you, you know, for like to have mm -hmm. a goal to do something. 
and then I stopped playing it because it got boring. Because it's a um, and so help me out. I I understand the the meaning of season in the context of like a multiplayer online game. Is it much the same in Diablo? Like they just release a few new cosmetics and challenges with uh, special or timed rewards. Well, they usually add like uh, sometimes they add new okay. like, gear. Uh, every couple of seasons but they also every season they add like a new flavor um, effect or mechanic or something that they change so it's a little bit different and you basically start from scratch like you know uh, no characters in the season you start with zero gold level one and you build okay so and each season lasts about like three to four months so it's not just new content added to the game it's also an incentive given to players to like roll a new character and play around with new mechanics and things like that well there's usually like one new mechanic and that's about it everything else is pretty much the same they do change up like the the journey quests that you can do but it's more or less the same which is why i don't know why i come back to it every single season guess i'm an idiot but Well, I guess it usually doesn't take too long to play through whatever new content or, like, the, the journey quests that there are. Oh, I can get to max level in less than a day. Ooh, good for you, man. No, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad. So, then, how does this season stack up to others that you've you've played through? Uh, this one? Yeah. It's, it's actually nice. They actually added... Um... Instead of, like, a special new mechanic, they just did a revamp on, like, the followers. Mm -hmm. So that you can, uh, like, before your follower can only, like, wear a weapon, potentially an offhand, uh, neck, two rings, and, like, a relic. And now you can just give him the same gear that you can have. As long as it's not, like, class-specific. And some of the, like, legendary effects will... um, flow over to you if they're equipped on your follower which is nice but yeah. it's kind of lame if you want to play with a friend because you can't have your followers with you if you're in a multiplayer game right but you can i assume share share gear between players quite easily oh yeah like if if it drops in the same uh game that you're both in mm-hmm. then you can just trade it between each other and do you do you get the same um, synergized benefits then? Like, if you're wearing certain legendary gear, would your co-op partner receive certain benefits? Or... Oh, no, no, no. Okay, so that that's specific to the followers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, oh, that's, that's interesting. Just follower-specific. Like, it, it's okay, but uh, kind of like, you know, when they <laughs> give you something for, like, playing with uh, friends, because I don't really enjoy playing alone that much. Right, especially since you're so familiar with, like, the base content at this point. There's, like, no real engagement there, yeah? Oh, yeah, you just, like, want to play with a friend and just laugh at him when he gets fucking bodied by the boss or something. Yeah, a single player at that stage, it's the kind of game you would put on, say, I don't know, to watch a video in the background or listen to a podcast like this one. No, like, mostly I'll play single player just to finish the, like, the season quests because Mm -hmm. I'm weird that way uh i've played i think in all but like four seasons and i think we're at like season 23 now shoot man that's that is that is an actual like you know 
I don't want to call it a live service because unlike Destiny or equivalent games, they don't make you pay out the ass for new content. But that's like the kind of longevity that all of these studios or publishers usually typically ascribe to their live service, right? Like, oh, Destiny's gonna last 10 years. People are gonna be playing Anthem 15 years from now. (laughs) And a simple, fairly, like, honest, single-purchase or at least now anymore, single purchase um, dungeon crawler with some paid DLC actually attains that kind of longevity. It's amazing, isn't it? It's almost like if you make a good game, people will be more than happy to come back to it. Well, yeah, I mean, also, like, Diablo 2 still has seasons. Yeah. They they still do those, although they don't, I think, switch as mm-hmm. often. But, but yeah, they they still do it. It's kind of the whole point. Like, if you just had an infinite grind fest of non-seasonal characters and nothing else to do, even with a little bit of new content, it would be boring because, you know, you could instantly go with your max level characters and just get that content, and it's... Yeah. As you said that, my eyes just fixed on my my copy of Marvel's Avengers in the (laughs) cupboard. (laughs) And it'll stay there. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's a relic. <laughs> that's gonna be in a museum yeah. someday. Um, righteous man. So what? What else have you been playing? Anything besides Diablo? Uh, pretty much that and Elite Dangerous. Right on, right on. And that game we talked about this last week, but it gets a really continuous drip feed of new content, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I think the next expansion is now in alpha. Hmm. Which means hopefully, like, probably this year it's going to be out. And now, I don't know, because, again, I played the game. I, I love the game. I have a copy of the game. I'm not good at the game. I played it for about half an hour and then crashed my spaceship into a moon. But, like, <laughs> um, they they have multi, uh, multi-seat multi ships now, right? Like Yeah, I think, fly like, up to three the most. So you can have your friends uh, come play with you, and they can either... Like, man the turrets on your uh, ship, mm-hmm. or they can take a fighter if you have a large ship that has a fighter hangar. This is something we could do as, like, a, a stream team, then, at some point. Like, oh, God. Go mining or go... go. Oh, no, go pirating. Yes, Just yes. Just so we can get fucked by the, by the authorities. Uh, you... You don't... You don't want me piloting? I will grab a gun. <laughs> well, like, the multi-crew ships are pretty expensive and um the only person that can pilot the ship is the owner unfortunately so i couldn't like oh have you pilot the ship while i go fly a fighter which i got you i mean i kind of understand it but i wish you could let someone else pilot it just you know to let a friend try it out right or like for adaptability like in combat situations yeah or that like, if you've got a really high-end fighter or something, and maybe it's a little finicky um, insofar as, like, maneuverability, but you know how to control it far better than I do, you could say, hey, grab the helm while I go, you know, strafe these these targets or take out these pursuers or what have you. Yeah. Um, I, I will say I love this this idea, though. We could do, like, a stream team series, like, running around as a pirate wing a la Star Wolf. <laughs> Music and all. Hey, I'm all. I'm all for it. <laughs> um, 
No, Elite Dangerous, man. It sounds like it's a great game that just keeps getting better. And correct me if I'm wrong, the devs have been really involved in reaching out to the community to gather feedback on their projects, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're not, like, uh, completely silent and unresponsive to to the community. They they really do uh, they do listen. And they're making an actual game, which gives them, like, two on-cloud <laughs> Imperium games. Yeah, they just like go. Oh, let's make this game. Like, but let's let's make it small for now and then expand. Even though, yeah, small kind of means like a one for one representation of the Milky Way galaxy. But you know, <laughs> small. <laughs> like feature wise, it was small. The map was huge. But then they like had it. Oh, you know, you can land on a planet. You can drive around on it, and you know, collect some more resources. Um. And then they added, like, oh, you want to, like, you have a shit ton of uh, credits. Well, give five billion of them and buy yourself a fleet carrier. Why don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Instead of get five billion dollars and buy yourself a fleet carrier. Yeah, and like, oh, Star <laughs> Citizen is going to have, like, first-person gameplay. And you'll be able to walk out of your ship. Let, let's add that, you know. <laughs> Let's just actually make this game these other guys are talking about. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, can you imagine if people did that during, like, the 13-year wait for Kingdom Hearts 3? <laughs> just file the serial numbers off and release your own? <laughs> oh, it's my it's my good friends, Bonald and Doofy. Let's... <laughs> Let's go explore the Hanna-Barbera universe. Gorge. <laughs> Although I'd kinda, I kind of, I wouldn't mind that, though. No, no, that'd be great. Or, or what about, like, a Kingdom Hearts-esque game where you explore, like, various worlds populated entirely by, like, well-known video game bootlegs? Like, uh, uh, instead of the Pride Lands from the Lion King, which are one of my favorite worlds in Kingdom Hearts 2, there's just, like, this desolate wasteland uh, home to twerking Simba from that Jungle Book hack. Or, um, instead of Mickey, there's Granddad. Jesus. Oh. Oh, we, we oh, need yeah. to workshop this. <laughs> there are some good ideas in there. Um, but that's great, Mata. You've been playing good games. Games you enjoy this week. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, Elite is so sandboxy, and that's why I like it, because, like, there's... It's not that there's no end game to go for, it's like the whole game is and the end game. You start at the end game. Right. Um, and you've not touched Crash Bandicoot Run again? Uh, oh, I deleted it. <laughs> Good man. Get Good away man. from me, Satan. It's an abomination. I think that's the only time we've mentioned it on the podcast. Yeah, that's yeah. all the review you need. Like, just, just he, here's what you need to know. You'll install it, you'll go, oh, wait, this isn't so bad, and then you'll get bombarded with a bunch of, like, oh, there's a discount on this bundle, there's a discount on this skin, oh, try some of our other Saga games, why don't you? And you'll just go, uh, <laughs> you're not getting my money, fuck you, delete. Or, delete or you'll dangerous. go, like, have my money, and then you'll go bankrupt. Yes. Go for option um, number one, please. Which, which is the experience I, I 
remember having with most mobile games. You you have a decent enough time for maybe like a half hour, then the monetization aspects kick in or really begin to assert themselves, and it's like, yeah, this isn't worth it. There are some that are okay. Like, I've yeah. played... Um... Like uh, games like Adventure Capitalist, Adventure Communist, and stuff like that, which is basically like a mostly AFK game, which you just like build up stuff that clicks for itself. Yeah. But they won't force you to buy stuff. They'll go, well, you have this for offer, or if you want to get something for free, just watch an ad. Right. And that's fine. Yeah, no, um, I- I've heard they're pretty good idle games in the vein of like the ca- classic cookie clicker. But um, enough about uh, what I've been playing. What have you been playing, Steph? Yeah. Well, I have been playing a lot of different games. Um, well, mostly on the Switch. Uh, but yeah, first thing I've been playing Overwatch as usual, trying to rank up a little bit. And mm-hmm. so far, it's actually going pretty well. I think that I just need to figure out when is the time where least stupid people are online. And so <laughs> far for me, that seems to be Saturday and Sunday during the day. So, oh, if you want, I can tell you when I'm offline. <laughs> Don't worry, I can see when you're offline. <laughs> um, yeah. So other than that, um, I've finished New Super Lucky Tale for the Switch. Oh, how how did you find it? I absolutely loved it. Um, it's very heavily inspired by uh, Crash Bandicoot and Spyro. I think mostly Spyro, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the music, I, I'm not sure if it's the same guy that made the music, but the music is very similar to Spyro's. And also the um, kind of like the, the setup of the worlds, you know, you have a big um, hub and through that you have portals that you go through to like uh, smaller worlds and each world has like a different... Um, different creatures like first one guy at the start that tells you something that happened in that level and that you need to help fix and then when you fix it you get a reward and you need to like do that for every stage so Mm -hmm. it's it's very spiral like uh in every level you have uh four pages that you need to collect one you collect for just finishing the stage one you uh, get if you um, have at least 300 coins, which is not that complicated to find. It's really quite um, easy, yeah. Yeah, one you get if you uh, find all of the letters to spell lucky. That can be a bit tricky. Um, and they, they are always uh, put in the order. So if you find L and then suddenly K, you know that you missed U and C somewhere. Um and the last one is you will have a hidden bonus level or a, hid- a hidden, like a sec- secret in the level, and the, the page is going to be there. And it's the same in every level. What I liked about the game in general is that every level is different. So yeah. one is going to be like a side-scrolling uh, platformer, like the old Crash Bandicoots. One is going to be like an open world-ish kind of exploration level. One is going to be an endless runner kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, One is going to be like a puzzle. Um, So they are all um, different from each other and very cute. And also the language that they speak is kind of like in... um, uh, banjo kazooie and ukulele you know it's just like gibberish grunts yeah yeah like grunts and gibberish uh, but they do have like accents for example in one world you have um worms 
yes they are cowboys and uh basically they have a su- southern american accent so so they speak with that accent but they speak gibberish so it's ridiculous to hear them um but and yeah also the enemies um are cats they look cute mm-hmm. uh they all have different personalities and different boss fights uh the boss fights all um have like three three stages so yep. it's, it's kind of like in super mario you know where, where it always takes three hits to defeat the boss it's uh the same here and then like after every hit it becomes more and more complicated um after you beat the game so finally find the pages and rescue your your, your sister and whatever you ha- have you um what you do is you have to become like a guardian so uh in front of you are presented the challenges where you have to beat the bosses all over again but now they have much more complex uh mechanics so it's like um they upped the difficulty from normal to hardcore in order for you to get your like guardian title or something like that um i haven't finished that yet so i've just finished the main story but it's um it's quite cute and honestly it's been one of those games that i I kept thinking like okay just one more level and i'm going to bed yeah and then it would be like 5 a.m very cute very simple the the only thing i would caution our viewers about because i loved the game as well is it is given the audience it was designed for a bit on the the easy side yeah like quite a bit I don't think that prohibits you from enjoying some really good, as Seth said, really diverse uh, level design yeah. and charmingly written and realized characters, though. It's a great game. It is. It's uh, adorable. Yeah, it's not super complicated. Um, I think it's like five levels per hub. And out of those those five levels, usually I had four of them 100% completed. And then the fifth, there would be like one letter that I couldn't find or something like that. So I just gave up mm-hmm. and kept going. <laughs> Uh, but um, all in all, it's not not complicated. No, it's a it's a beautiful, like fun little game, and it's great to see that like simple action platformers like that mm-hmm. are still being produced today. We we've talked about this on the podcast before and on our streams before. Those are the kinds of games that I think hold a special place in like our heart, mm-hmm. and we would like to see more of. Um, did a quick search. The composer, Mister uh, Romain Gautier, um, worked on a lot of. Like, well, he worked on a couple of King games, yeah. mm-hmm. um, several mobile titles, but also did the soundtrack for Wonder Boy, The Dragon's Trap. Ah, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the soundtrack is very cute. Uh, yes. It, it's, it is very similar to Spyro's. So uh, I think uh, first level especially, when I um, went in, I was like, wait a minute, this is Spyro music, because it has like this distinct... Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. Like and it goes uh, like that in the, in a loop, and I remember that I think from Spyro Three. Yeah, it's it's a very whimsical soundtrack and yeah. a very whimsical like yeah. cute game that doesn't take itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. I quite enjoy that. And one of the things that I loved playing through it was that the bosses of each world, as as you said, do feel very distinct and they do have their own personality, and they are present um, throughout both the hubs and the individual stages. They'll be interacting with you and other characters. So you actually get a sense for what each world's antagonist is doing and what they're like long before you fight them. Uh, And each of them alter the world and and the environments they're in in a different way. 
like um, a scientifically obsessed little kitten transforms uh, the um, agricultural land inhabited by the worms, Seth uh, mentioned, into this weird testing ground for really faulty um, high-end agricultural equipment. Um, A pop star um, Shanghai's an entire resort and takes it over to host one of her concerts there, forcing the... um, completely stoned out of their minds fishman inhabitants <laughs> to um work as support staff for the yeah. event it's yeah. a great little game and i couldn't recommend it I, I don't think we could recommend it strongly enough good stuff um so, i just did a quick google and the composer has said that he has never heard of spyro and the music <laughs> is not spyro inspired <laughs> it's not inspired you can't compare it to spyro yeah, really yeah. Oh god. Um for all that don't understand the reference, it's uh from Brady's live stream where um we had a co-creator of the game um Immortal Unchained come into the stream and say that their game was not inspired by Dark Souls. Uh, well, no no, when... that, that's not what they said. They said it you couldn't compare it to ah, Dark right. Souls. Mm-hmm. That they were very different types of games. To be fair, to be fair to them since they were very very kind or polite to us. Um, they had said that you couldn't really compare the two games, like that they were angling for different things. They never said they didn't hear of Dark Souls or that they weren't inspired by it. I have a feeling it would be pretty damn hard to argue that the game was not, at least in part, inspired by Dark Souls. But what we found so amusing was how many elements that they just straight up lifted from Dark Souls, even when it didn't suit what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. It was like, oh, you know, this is not an RPG. This is a shooter, but never mind. We're going to put RPG elements inside. Stuff like that. Just stuff that are completely out of place. But it's like, um, oh, it's you can't compare it to Dark Souls, but you can, though. Yeah. And you wanted other people to. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the second game that I've been um, dipping my feet into... Um, I haven't finished it yet. I've been just playing it a little bit. It's called uh, Flippin' Death. Okay. Um, it's uh, a game in which you die and become an assistant to death who wants to take vacation. And um, he hasn't taken any vacation in billions and billions of years. So you're there to relieve him at least for a little while. And what your goal is to, is to um, resolve murders of the ghosts around you. So oh. by, by using some uh, little ghost matters or whatever, you can uh, possess people in the living world and do some actions with them or read their minds and try to solve the murder murders in that way. Um, the game doesn't take itself seriously. It's a comedy. Um, everyone is ridiculous. There is one guy that is pretending to be a superhero whose name is Pokeman. And <laughs> um, yeah, what you can do with him is poke everyone. And um, there is actually an achievement for poking everyone in the city, and it's called Apocalypse. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it's that nice. kind of game. Very very cute. Um, what I like from the graphic design view is that um, they're all exaggerated. Like the proportions are exaggerated. Uh, oh yeah, exaggerated. They're like the top and bottom part of the um, head are completely disjointed. Things like that. And also, whenever you possess someone, basically the entire um, 
dead world just flips over it's like you're on the same like in the same city but it just like flips uh whether it's in the living part or the dead part and i and i quite like it um the thing is that i did not yeah i did not play it that long maybe like two hours just finished mm -hmm. uh, the first murder but so far i enjoy it and it's gonna be one of those uh games that i'm gonna keep aside for when i have a bit more time so that i can focus because um, yes. I didn't have that much time to, to you know play something that requires a little bit of thinking. Um, um, and it, it is like um, a puzzle adventure game. Yeah, yeah. puzzle adventure game. Uh, I'm not sure if it's on any console, uh, on any platform except for the Switch. Um, I got myself a physical copy of it. Um, it's an indie title, though. I don't nice. think it's from a big studio. And, and it's worth the price. I think I paid like 15 bucks for it. And hmm. it's definitely worth the price. And do you on know all platforms? Yeah. Oh wow! Nice. Do you know uh, how many cases there are? Uh, no, um, I, I think that it's at least five because I'm assuming that all the the ghosts that I I already visited have a, a murder associated with them. And nice. I've, I think I've met five or six different ghosts, so I'm assuming that's the, the amount of cases as well. Well, good stuff. Um, that sounds really, really rich for like yeah. a game. And I have been looking um, at what info I could dig up. I will say the art style looks gorgeous. Reminds mm -hmm. me almost of like Tim Burton's work. Yes, yes. Oh. Tim Burton, but like some someone that's inspired by Tim Burton, but went into a completely exaggerated uh, direction. And I really like it. It's really something um, special, some, something very different. Yeah, it looks kind of like a Burton-esque uh, children's book yeah, illustration. Yeah, yeah. Like, it reminds me a little bit of, um, God damn it, Don't Starve. Yeah, mm, yeah. Yeah, 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 that as well. Um, and yeah, as I said, I've played a lot of games, so the next one that I was um, playing a little bit um, during meetings mostly when I was bored <laughs> and could not participate was Hades. Oh um, yes. Yeah, I just checked my profile on my um on my Nintendo um yeah, my Nintendo profile and it says I have over 110 hours in Hades. Wow. Um and honestly, I still don't feel even a little bit bored. I still feel like I want to keep going. I finished the main story. I finished I I finished. I finished uh the uh like the small side story. I finished almost everyone's quests. Um and I still feel like I want to keep going and going and going. And it's amazing because um, every time you beat the, the entire game with a specific weapon, you can do it again, but increase difficulty by adding, for example, uh, more monsters or giving them a shield or giving the bosses a new tactic or uh, making the traps hurt more or something like that. And every time that you finish the game, you need to add more of them. So if you finish... Um, the game with, let's say, one difficulty, you need to add another one in the next round, and then another one, and another one, etc. Oh, wow. So, so it keeps getting more and more difficult, and the thing is that your uh, weapons don't really become much stronger, so basically what you have to do is get good. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Um, the gaming world's favorite concept. Oh, yeah, because I am the gamer, TM. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't um, wait to get my hands on Hades. It it looks fantastic. Yeah. 
Um, I, I wouldn't say that's a good game for streaming, for example. I, I would say it's a very good game if you want to just, I don't know, relax on the couch and not think too much because uh, a, a, like the, the story is very simple. It doesn't require a lot of mental mm -hmm. strain. Um, it is quite cute and voice acting is absolutely amazing. Music is super good and there is uh, actually an entire side quest where you have to collect all the music sheets so that you can play the music in your um, like on the start um, where you level up and everything. So yeah, it, it, you, you really have a lot of things to do. You can decorate the underworld like your house. Um, you can um, fall in love with us with specific characters. So yeah, there there is um, a lot of things to do there. Yeah, so, it sounds really content rich. And remember, this came from you know an indie darling studio, the same yeah. team behind Bastion, Transistor, and one of my favorite games of the past console generation, Pyre. Mm -hmm. So I've never played Pyre. I, I do have Bastion and um, Transistor uh, uh, for for PC. I loved Bastion. It was an amazing uh, narrative experience. Um, I, I love the narrator, um, the way that he was like teasing uh, the kid. And then at the end, you figure out that's the old guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say spoiler alert, but it was kind of, you know, obvious from the start. It was kind of- And the game's like going on 15 years old or so, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And the art style was adorable. Uh, that I isometric kind of uh, point of view is was very popular at the time, and it's still quite fun to play. I mean, that's something that Diablo uses as well. Um, also, the challenges that were in Bastion were uh, quite nice. I mean, you didn't have to do it if you didn't want to, but it would add another element of the game where you can get lost. Um... Uh, yeah, and just, yeah. just as a shout out, because I feel like it's a, it's a really under uh, underappreciated or under discussed aspect of yeah. their um, their kind of work portfolio. I suppose their portfolio, the art for Super Giant Games titles has been uniformly like gorgeous. I think yeah. now it's, it's very stylized, so mm -hmm. people may or may not enjoy what they see, yeah. but. There's a lot of bright colors and extreme attention to detail and facial features that go right. into every single illustration. And all of these games um, really incorporate, like, hand-drawn art. Um, mm -hmm. Well, you know, digitally hand-drawn, I should say. Like, somebody yeah. sitting down with a tablet or what have you. Extensively in all of their... The gameplay, the narrative, and everything like that. The art director for Supergiant is named Gen Z, and she has done some incredible things. Yeah. So, uh, and I think that uh, in between those games, uh, the art style is diverse. For example, the art mm -hmm. style from Bastion and art style from Hades, I would not compare them. Like the coloring is very similar. You can see that they are coming from the same team, but uh, like Hades has a m much more anime kind of uh, art, which completely works for uh, for Hades, definitely. But yeah. Um, I feel that Bastion's art was more on the traditional side. Um, so, yeah. As was Transistor's. Yes. Like, a lot of Transistor's art, which is my favorite aspect of that game, uh, looks like it could have come almost out of a, a painting mm -hmm. 150 years old, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
And I mean, Transistor's main aspect was the music because your character mm -hmm. is a singer that lost her voice. So, um, but for some reason, I just could not get into it. It did not appeal to me as much as uh, Bastion did or Hades for that matter. No, no, I I appreciate the gameplay style. It's like a a pseudo turn-based tactical game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it just wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. I I really really enjoy the world though. This like yeah. strange psychedelic cyber I, I hate to say it but almost cyberpunk world yeah. that Transistor yeah. takes place in is gorgeous Look and at fascinating. A city kind of a dystopia that's very elegant and unusual yeah. for that type of fiction, very beautiful in its mm -hmm. presentation, uniformly. Like, the rich and the poor districts look very, very, um, like, well-maintained and, like, quite ostentatious. I like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, so for me it was like, Transistor, I never finished. Bastion, I finished and I loved it. Hades, I finished and I keep playing it. <laughs> so it's like level up from one game to the other um and the, the last game that i am actually finishing right now is catherine full body hmm. and i am absolutely blown away by how much i like this game um i, I was i thought that the uh, the puzzle aspect of it you know just simple um moving blocks around to be able to reach the top of the level is going to get boring but every level has a different type of blocks that change the tactics. Like some of them may explode if you step on them. Some of them have traps. Some of them uh, are ice blocks. So if you step on them, they're going to let you slide all the way until the first like solid one and stuff like that. So it's really interesting. And um, the story around it is well also quite fascinating. So... Apparently, there is a witch going around the the city uh, that mm -hmm. is um, trapping people in nightmares if if they have some sort of regret or guilty conscience or, or somebody wanted them to end up there. So some people ended up there because they were very um, disrespectful to their family. Some people. Uh, ended up there because they were using their friends some people ended there because of cheating and things like that mm -hmm. and um every time you uh finish the, the climbing part you get you sit in that um confessional place in church how is it called oh uh, you you sit in the uh oh god i think if you're talking about like a catholic style yeah, yeah. It is just called the confessional. The confessional, okay, yeah, yeah, because it's heavily, uh, it, it's completely filled with Catholic church imagery. So nice. uh, angels, uh, church, uh, the confessional, everything. Um, and uh, when when you finish the level, you sit there and you're presented with a question that is moving your character's personality either towards the bad or the good side. So, for example, one of the later question is. Um, have you ever peeked into your lover's cell phone? Um, so you have, of course, the answer of no, I would never, and right. yes, I couldn't help it. And you know, and then at the end, if you are connected um, online, uh, you also get uh, to see what was the the answers like across other players. Oh, I bet that gets interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the answers are like 
even in a game people are not honest with themselves so it's like oh no i would never peek uh, and it's like well we were all curious and especially if you have like a reason to you are gonna look at it so let, let, let's not be naive everyone does it um, in any case, um, what was really surprising is that whenever I would read about the game or I would watch a preview or something, um, I would get the impression that the main protagonist is a dick that is cheating yep. on his girlfriend and he's like the worst scum of the earth. And when you play, you realize that it's that's not the case. So, um, okay, uh, now spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> the um, other woman actually appears in his bed every time and he wakes up from the nightmare and she's always there but he has absolutely no memory of ever hmm. picking up a woman or anything and she keeps like acting like oh yeah they they slept together and they had a wonderful night and then she keeps calling him during the day and and he keeps trying you know to let her down like to yeah not not give her any um um yeah just to, to let her know that you know that nothing is gonna happen and nothing should happen and whatever but every time the conversation goes into that direction she said that oh if she ever found out that he had another woman she would be very angry um so he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place and in the meantime his girlfriend um is kind of emotionally black blackmailing him with a hypothetical pregnancy so uh, it's just like a mess uh, a really big emotional mess and then of course he doesn't get enough sleep because every night he's being tossed into this nightmare where he's being chased uh, by either a demon that looks like a baby or a demon that looks like his girlfriend or something of the sorts and has to climb to save his life because one stage yeah isn't he in one stage isn't he just like being chased by a butt yeah uh, like a butt with <laughs> eyes and legs and like a, a, a huge tongue that is coming out of course yeah um also of course you get to talk with his friends because at the end of every day you end up in the bar with them so you discuss you know your lives um and he was upfront about his issues from the start with his friends. He said what happened. He said he doesn't remember anything, that he doesn't understand what the hell is happening. And of course, they, they were, as, as you would imagine, being like, ah, you dog, and how dare you cheat on your girlfriend and stuff. And he's like, I don't know what happened. Whoa. Oh. Hold on. Sorry. Oh, my God. Okay. You that okay? A mandated random test. Sorry, I'm still shaking. Uh, of my apartment's fire alarm. Uh, oh, God. Okay. No, they, they send you an email like, hey, at some point, you know, over the next seven to ten days, we'll probably be uh, testing this. And the last time it happened, um, they just sent someone from maintenance around to examine, like, right. uh, the, the fire alarms and all that. And they were like, oh, yeah, you're good. Uh, this mm -hmm. time. No. Oh, God. Sorry. Oh, Carry oh. on. Catherine. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Um, yeah, and uh, also um, there is this girl that he finds on the street that's being chased by someone and she has like amnesia, doesn't know who she is, except that she remembers her name, which is also Catherine. Um, so he has three women in his life, all named Catherine. 
um, and and she he decides to help her and introduces her to his friends and gets her a job and finds her an apartment just you know tries to help her out of the goodness of his heart like genuinely he thought of her as uh, his like younger sister or something like that so purely platonic and just things get very 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 complicated um and yeah also one thing is that as you're climbing up you see sheep everywhere yep and um you start to realize that those sheep are actually people from real life because um they all say that they see everyone as sheep except for themselves which is also what vincent is uh seeing like he is a normal human and everyone else is a sheep so um, I, I think that the, the game is going to have, like, I haven't finished it yet. I think the game is going to have some sort of, like, moral um, moral lecture at the end. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing what how the hell the entire thing is going to untangle itself because there's so many weird things happening. Um, but yeah, it, it's a really good, uh, really good story. A bit shorter than I expected, but really good. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, and how's the gameplay overall? You you mentioned it in passing, but how have you been finding the the puzzle segments? Um, I've been finding it like you have three three uh, difficulties, of course, easy, normal, and hard. I've been playing it on normal because I just wanted to go through the story as it is. Um, on normal, I would say like eighty percent of the puzzles I can solve really fast and just get to the end mm -hmm. of the level. But on those 20%, I think I was stuck for a long time and I would be like t tossing the, the blocks everywhere and being like, <laughs> okay, I can do it maybe like this, maybe like that. And of course, you're timed because something is chasing you from below. So you have to keep climbing. Um, and uh, you can rewind uh, the, like, the moves. But at some point, like that monster or whatever is chasing is going to be right next to you. So even if you rewind, it's not going to help you anymore. Uh, so it can get quite hard if you don't do stuff fast enough. It's, it sounds like there's, like a lot of puzzle games, like a Professor Layton game or something, 90% of the time you either immediately intuit like the correct solution, like, yeah. oh, yeah, you're supposed to do this, or you are just stuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the thing is that with the the um the implementation of that monster that's chasing you, it really gives you a nightmare feeling. Like something is constantly like uh, be right behind you and you have to keep fighting for your life because if that thing catches you, you're dead. And like for me, it's terrifying because it's like a little baby with a chainsaw or something like that that's like screaming its guts off. And yeah. See, I would think the butt monster would be the most frightening. I actually started laughing at the butt monster because that one was actually a bit funny and ridiculous. But th there was like uh, his girlfriend in a bride dress. Uh, yeah. That was, uh, yeah, I've with, seen that. With like uh, climbing with forks or something. And that was terrifying. Uh, there was like a regular baby and there was a, a mecha baby with a chainsaw. So just some very unsettling things. Jesus Christ. But uh, every person that he meets and like every sheep that he meets uh, say that they have different things following them. Like one had his mother in like a monstrous appearance chasing him uh, up. 
one had uh, his father, one had his wife. So d different people have different nightmares, obviously. So yeah, they're fighting different things. Nice. I would strongly recommend it to anyone that has like, I don't know, about five hours of time. It's really not a long game, but it's uh, an experience that you should really <laughs> experience. Nice, nice. And what about you, Brady? What have you been playing? Okay, so, sorry, I'm still calming down after <laughs> having an alarm go off directly above my head. Uh, your you boy does not do sudden loud noises all that well. Um, I've been playing... Jump scares. Oddly enough, jump scares never bother me that much. Well, this because... was a jump scare. Yeah, but here's the thing. A jump scare, as we typically conceive of them... Um, occur in environments or settings, like when we're playing a horror video game or watching a horror film or something like that, where we are already primed for suspense. In other words, we are not as surprised by jump scares in those settings, for instance, when they occur as we would be if one happened, well, just in the course of our daily lives, right? So they're not as effective as they could be. That's why, like, that scary maze game was so effective back in the day. But, anyhow, what I've been playing. Right, yes, friends. I have been playing several titles, both on and off stream. Primarily on stream, because that's where I like to do most of my gaming anymore. Um, but over the past week, I have been dedicating quite a bit of my time on stream to two very, very different titles that do very different things. Um, firstly, at the recommendation of my mod MC, who was uh, our guest for the recent episode on the merits or pitfalls of antagonistic um, design, uh, I've been playing Rez, a very interesting little space shooter um, designed, I want to say originally for the Dreamcast and PlayStation 2, with the goal of inducing, like, a what the developers call a, like, synesthesia experience, right? Where all the senses blend together. Um, it was pitched to me as, like, a rhythm-based or rhythm-integrated game, and that's not entirely true. Um, certain actions that enemies take on screen are occasionally loosely synced up with the beat of the game's techno soundtrack, which on the whole for EDM, like late 90s, early 2000s EDM, is not bad, I don't think, right? Um, but that also, uh, th there's also a lot that doesn't, um, align even remotely. Hold on, guys, I'm so sorry, I'm hearing. Okay. Welcome and we're back. back. And we've hauled all of our gear into the living room because the maintenance crew uh, checked everything out, said everything looks fine. But um, as they were heading out the door, said, oh, yeah, uh, you might hear that thing go off again when we get down to the other corner. So, OK. <laughs> Yikes. All right. I'm so sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Carrying on. Um, yeah, I've been playing Res, which is an interesting experience. Um it's been ported and enhanced about 800,000 different times, like to PC and current-gen consoles, last-gen consoles, I think. Um, and it's an interesting arcade shooter. Um, instead of more traditional maneuvering and firing, well, you don't maneuver your character whatsoever. Instead, survivability is tied to one's um, capability of like detecting and shooting down enemy projectiles midair which i think is really nice 
Um, it does greatly simplify the gameplay, uh, the core gameplay then, but uh, there's often so many things on screen at a time and like different areas of certain enemies that you can target for, for mm. points or um, in order to increase their vulnerability that it doesn't ever seem like the game is under-stimulating you. Um, the, the core goal of the game is to, well, ideally, destroy everything on screen as quickly as you can using a lock-on feature. You can lock on to up to eight targets in sequence by painting them with your cursor, and as you release a button that you hold down to activate the cursor, um, projectiles will um, emit from your player character uh, or your avatar, I should say, your Pepsi man, to destroy um, everything that had been painted. Uh, there is no conventional fire, like uh, standard rapid fire that you would see like in a lot of shooters in uh, Res. It is a very deliberate game, and it feels, even though it's consistently stimulating, like it's considerably more relaxed than a lot of shooters. Mm -hmm. um, but it does keep one engaged by the constant presence of elements you have to react to on screen and by encouraging the player to destroy all the targets in a level, to collect all of the little items, which you can gather by also tagging them with your cursor in a level, and ideally taking as little damage as possible by keeping track of all of these things with stats, and the higher your stats are when you reach the end of a stage, the more sophisticated, the more advanced the form of the stage boss that you'll get to fight. Mm -hmm. um, every stage boss has three different... Um, I want to say levels of difficulty and complexity, and depending on how well you've done in that stage, you'll fight a more um, advanced version or variant of the boss. The boss fights um, for a game that are so that is so incredibly simple uh, are pretty good. Most of them have multiple phases and forms that bosses take. Most bosses themselves are physically these little cores that are able to construct vast. Um, like apparatuses out of things like cubes and little flat polygons or what have you to maneuver around the arena and fight you. Um, they're all very, very interesting. Um, apparently there is a, a variety of endings one can attain by doing insanely well throughout the entire game. I have not. Um, and with the versions that you can acquire um, presently, I think Res Infinite is the most accessible to console users. You also gain access to something called Area X, a relatively recent DLC module that allows for totally freeform uh, maneuvering and flight through like uh, this vast 3D space. Think um, an all-terrain battle or no, all-range battle in Star Fox, um, where maneuverability and player agency are kind of expanded and the visuals are also greatly overhauled to reflect what is possible with um, current uh, generation graphics rendering uh, hardware. Uh, Res is very good for what it is, but it is not a rhythm game. It's not a game like No Straight Roads, which is one of my favorite rhythm action games of all time now, um, or something even more conventional like a Friday Night Funkin' or what have you. See, I can shoehorn it into my uh, products too, game theory. <laughs> um, and aside from that, I've been playing Balan Wonderworld, the 
kind of experimental exploration and action-adventure game by Yuji Naka and several former members of Sonic Team that has been absolutely excoriated um, in Japan, in the U.S., around the world. People hate this game. I don't know if you guys have seen, like, Critical Reception. People despise this game. Wow. Um, But it's a very simple, little, slightly rough action-adventure game where you play as one of two very, very large-footed children um, who are recruited by an extra-dimensional um, entity to like help restore the shattered hearts and confidence of people around the, the city, I suppose? I don't know. We don't get context for a lot of this. I mean, basically what you do is just beat the living shit out of depressed people. Well, yes, after they transform into really cool-looking, for the most part, animal or uh, mechanical monstrosities. Um, the game is based around the acquisition of upwards of 80 different suits that you can find that are, like, separated by world. And each world is very loosely tied to um, the person whose problems you're ostensibly helping solve uh, by traversing that world's uh, environments. Um, so it's not as heavily themed as something like Psychonauts or even Nights into Dreams, another Yuji Naka project that uh, Balan is clearly meant to act as a spiritual successor to. Um, a lot of the theming is fairly loose and kind of basic, like in the the um, washed-up chess champion's mental world, there's just giant chess pieces everywhere and, like, checkerboard patterning on the walls. Um, the farmer has like a standard grassland but corn that and I that's not bad it just is very basic loose theming I prefer loose theming to no theming however and I appreciate that even the suits that you acquire are particular to each world its environment its themes its overall aesthetic um, what I don't appreciate is that those suits are all based on various little um, mystical NPCs, like creatures native to each person's mental world, that are uh, appear only as horrifying, non-interactive, uh, totally blank-faced dancing abominations frequently throughout the stages. Um, it's been talked about frequently online, so if you know anything about Balan Wonderworld, you know that, oh... Just about everything in the game is done with one button. Like, every single costume yeah. has a single function that any face button or the triggers will um, execute. And yeah, that's a little simple. That's a little reductive. But you can have up to three costumes active in a little palette at once, and you can swap them out, provided you've stocked up um, various copies uh, or multiple copies of certain costumes at any checkpoint, which are plentiful. And the base stages themselves offer plenty of opportunities for the application of certain suits and their abilities, especially suits from other worlds being um, necessary to explore little areas off the beaten path in, well, other mental worlds. And I will say that there is a fairly broad variety in abilities between the suits, though there are several, since there are 80-plus, that do similar, if not outright identical things. Um, the game is at its strongest in its boss fights, which actively encourage the players to use the suits and maneuverability that they've acquired throughout the mental world to engage the boss in different ways. Each boss can be harmed by three different means. For instance, by jumping on its head by using a suit to maneuver your way up above it, 
by um, maneuvering in just such a way that you're able to parry one of its projectile attacks back at it, or by waiting for it to exhaust itself and expose a weak point that you can use a suit's special ability to attack. And every time you damage a boss using one of these different methods, you will earn a trophy. Up to three for each fight, one for each different means of damaging the boss. This, I think, is wonderful design that encourages players not just to burn down boss encounters as quickly as they can, but also to learn and experiment with the boss's moveset, using the enemies as tools in and of themselves, as a means to completion. And you can earn many, many more trophies in the standard platforming stages, where around eight of them are scattered around each major stage. Many of these are, if not exactly well-hidden, fun, and simple to access, and most of them require the use of at least one, but sometimes as many as three different suits, in tandem to access. There's one great big glaring flaw with these trophies, though, and that's that one or two of them per platforming stage are sealed behind one of Balan's bouts. My opinion of the game overall is quite positive, but Balan's bouts are the worst goddamn things I've played in ages. They're brief quick time sequences that require players to, with picture-perfect timing, press the X button, or hammer the X button as the case may be, when after images of Balan um, align with his character model during a, a scripted action sequence. If you don't get a perfect score on a Balan bout, you have to leave the stage and re-enter and find your way to Balan once again in order to attempt it a second time. This is quite problematic, as there are no audio cues associated with many of the button presses, very precise button presses that you have to execute, and the after images often uh, align with Balan's model at weird times or phase on screen in, uh, with really irregular timing. Like, they'll overlap his character within a second of appearing on screen and then take another second or a second and a half just to perfectly align with well, where you would need to press to get the perfect score. Um, sorry if this is a little vague, it's a little obtuse, but the reason, one of the other reasons I find these sections so egregious is that Balan Wonderworld is heavily influenced by the aesthetics, both visual and auditory, of musical theater. Um, having hired West End actors from London's uh, fabled theaters to perform uh, vocals for many of the game's uh, soundtrack pieces. Um, and these are quite good. The game has a brilliant soundtrack. For a, a light, breezy action-adventure game, the soundtrack is whimsical and diverse and quite fantastical. I really, really can't say enough uh, positive things about it. But Balan's mini-games aren't rhythm games. They don't integrate the soundtrack or audio cues whatsoever. They're cheap and kind of inconsistent-feeling visual cues and oftentimes the visual sequences you get to accompany these stages, which again, appear in the middle of every major stage, occur um, or recycled again and again and again. Now, <clears throat> on the whole, balance bouts aside, I have a fairly positive uh, impression of Balan Wonderworld. I don't get why so many people outright despise it, though I can see with some of the design choices they made, especially regarding costumes and their limited functionality, why people would say it's a lackluster game. Uh, aside from those two, off-screen, I've just been playing Hyrule Warriors uh, Age of Calamity, which is a great time. Uh, 
It's nice and deep and really expands on the Hyrule Warriors gameplay formula in some meaningful ways. Characters' movesets are much deeper and more distinct than they are in your standard Warriors-style Muso game, but this was also true of the original Hyrule Warriors. And you're given a million and one ways to um, upgrade or enhance your characters. My one minor complaint is Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition had a massive, diverse, and really, really engaging roster. And while a lot of the characters in Age of Calamity are great to play so far, um, and the soundtrack is amazing. Like, holy shit. Um, if, If you guys are interested in video game soundtracks whatsoever... Go look up the um, OST pieces for Zora's Domain, which is, I think, Mifa, the Zora champion, and the Tabantha Frontier, which would be uh, Rivali, the Rito champion, um, online, because they are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was saying my one major complaint is the roster, and especially the extent to which the game is willing to provide playable characters to you as you progress is significantly more restrained. Yeah. Um, like I want to say the right now I'm sitting at eight playable characters and that's where I've been for a good long while. Um, but the characters we do have are really quality and all feel different. And I think there's at least one or two play styles for everyone. For my money, I really enjoy playing as um, the uh, Gerudo champion who uses lightning to accentuate her standard short-range attacks in some really interesting ways and can make mincemeat of most enemy hordes quite easily. Um, And uh, uh, Impa, the the Sheikah sage from Breath of the Wild and recurring character from the series who can um, produce short-lived clones of herself to attack... uh, in some cases, up to seven times uh, in tandem. It's really, oh, really yeah. cool stuff. Mm. Um, it's a great game. Couldn't recommend it enough. Perfect for casual play while you've got videos or podcasts on in the background. Oh, so yeah. that's what I've been playing. Good stuff all around. Yeah, I mean, I I, um, I was really surprised how good uh, Age of Calamity was because I don't like Muso games in general, mm-hmm. but this one really caught my attention. Well, firstly, because I'm a fan of Breath of the Wild, um, and also how diverse the characters was were, uh, which is usually my complaint with the Muso games that yes. sound looks the same. Um, and I, I played also the the first Hyrule Warriors as well, and I gotta say I did not like it as much as I I do. Um, cal- uh, really? Calamity, yeah. I don't know why, but it just could be the fact that I enjoyed Breath of the Wild so much. I just want mm-hmm. a little bit more of it. <laughs> Well, and so much of the content, like the diversity, like new characters and movesets and all that in Hyrule Warriors was mm. chained off in the adventure modes, which I think you didn't play much of, right? Uh, no. Okay. So yeah, you really have to dig for it in that game. And at least out of the box, even though Age of Calamity is really reserved with its characters, it gives you a lot of weapons and moves and ways to expand your moveset really early on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so things don't feel boring, or at the very least, they don't feel boring all that often. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will say, though, you're going to, you're going to hold out on giving us the Iga characters for a long, long, long time, but we get the Korok early on. Oh, yeah, the, uh, Hestu. Hestu. Yeah. 
so cute. Uh, he, he, I have no idea how he plays, though. I still haven't figured it out. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I, I used him, I think, once, maybe, or twice, just to level him up a little bit. Um, I, I, I find him so adorable, though. Yeah, ha ha! I, uh, I, I wish they gave us Makar instead, but that's just the, the Wind Waker fan uh, in me coming Makar? through. Yeah, yeah, the little uh, violin playing Korok uh, from Wind Waker. Oh, yeah, yeah, the one that we had to save. Yeah, I remember. I remember, I remember. Oh, he's great. He's great. Um, so, that's that's where we are, I think. We've all been playing good games all week. How about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, you are the, yeah, you are the resident, um, well, victim, I would say. <laughs> games, uh, bad games. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this this time you seem to be playing good ones for a change, which is quite nice. Yeah, and I mean, you guys have been along for the ride on Balan Wonderworld. It's not bad. No, I was actually yeah. quite surprised how good it is. I mean, it started a bit weird. Yeah. That's the thing. It started weird, not bad. The, the first two worlds were really rough. Yeah. Hashtag Farmer Ted uh, for life, though. Like. Yeah. He's not, the name is not Ted, but for us, he's always going to be Farmer Ted. Thank you, Penny Parker. Um, oh, oh yeah, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody who's not seen, but um, something incredible happens in Balan Wonderworld every time you beat a boss. Oh, yes. Like, it's, it's the best part of the game. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, it, it's worth playing it just for that, if not for anything else. <laughs> um... While we've been going for over an hour, even with my my repeated fire alarm induced freakouts included. Yeah, amazing. Um, I wanted to ask guys: Is there any game that you've been looking forward in the next couple of weeks? Mm, the next couple of weeks. Yeah, anything mm. that is coming out that you are waiting for right now? I don't think so. Yeah, for me, it's also like the first. Uh, time in a long time that I'm not waiting for any game to come out. I just bought, you know, a, a new batch of games with Catherine and Flip and mm -hmm. Death. So now uh, I think I can relax for a while and not buy any new games, she well, said, looking at her empty wallet. Apparently this month, Borderlands 3 Director's Cut came out. Really? Huh. Did not know that. But I know that they announced um, Borderlands 3 for the Switch. Which is cool. Which is absolutely amazing. I mean, considering it's a AAA game that's like almost brand new. Such a weird thing to see AAA games coming on the uh, coming on the Switch. Absolutely. Um, I also don't have anything I'm really looking forward to because all the games that I'm anxious uh, over don't have uh, don't have hard coded release dates yet. Well. The only one I know of that has a release date is No More Heroes 3, which I think is coming August. Mm -hmm. But yeah. aside from that, I'm really looking forward to... Um, well, Psychonauts is probably the biggest game on my radar right now, and apparently it's coming sometime this year still. Uh, is it coming for PlayStation 4 or only for 5? Uh, PlayStation 4, yeah. No, oh, it was okay. originally yeah, yeah. designed for PS4, um, Xbone, and PC. Nice. Um, but as far as things I'm looking forward to playing, well... I, uh, I've got two games for the Switch I would like to share with everyone in the near future. I did download uh, Blue Fire, the oh, nice. Waker-inspired like action platformer. Mm -hmm. And 
a really curious little pixelated roguelike game called A Neon Abyss. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. has, I want to say, like, a cadre of, uh, like, 80s-style futuristic protagonists tasked by Hades, I believe, with uh, traveling through this really, um, like, illustrious sci-fi dystopia to bring down uh, a pantheon of new gods who are representations of things like social media and mm-hmm. um, industrialization and things like that. It's going to be really cool. It, right. It's like um, Hades, the game Hades, mm-hmm. uh, meets Enter the Gungeon, meets American Gods. And I am so excited for that. That sounds nice. interesting. That sounds very interesting, yeah. Also today, for anyone that is interested, on the 14th of April was an uh, Indie World uh, Direct from Nintendo. So a lot of indie titles are currently on massive sales on the eShop, so make sure to check those out if you are looking for new games. I know that Hades is on a sale as well, so if nothing else, pick that one up. It's worth it. Yes, please do. So I have a bit of, um, it's not really gaming news, but it's uh, something that's been happening in gaming. So a developer has started a GoFundMe. Yeah, a GoFundMe. Okay. Um, because they are being sued by Activision. <laughs> uh, so he made uh, an indie, I think a web browser game called Warzone in 2017. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in 2020, Activision launched Call of Duty Warzone. And apparently, Activision tried to trademark Warzone. Oh, no. And, um, you know, when you go by trademark, whoever published the game with that name first, they generally are the ones to get the trademark. Yeah. But uh, Activision is trying to get it from under him. And uh, apparently he also had a lot of problems because uh, he has his own category on Twitch for his game. Uh-huh. And a lot of uh, Call of Duty Warzone <laughs> streamers decide to stream in it. Mm-hmm. So that kind of uh, saddens and angers the people who play his game and stream it because, as you can imagine, the Warzone players get way more viewers. And the ones streaming yeah. the actual game end up being somewhere like, like the third or fourth row on the stream. Yeah, that is right. Awesome. Also, people apparently keep telling him and sending him messages about how their Xboxes can't connect and how their PS4s got hacked, and uh, <laughs> complain about uh, Call of Duty Warzone to him. And uh, I think that's just slightly funny, but way more sad. Mm, this is really sad. Yeah. And so he's he's uh, crowdfunding support to fight the lawsuit then? Uh, yeah, as far as I can see, yeah. Honestly, this is really sad that Activision is doing this. Well, I mean, they are uh, sort of uh, partnering for their mobile games with King, so... Oh, and wait, remember, no, King, they own King. Yeah, that's right. It, it all makes sense. They're also the same people who, well, along with Blizzard, also mandated that uh, as a part of the Warcraft 3 refunded debacle, 
any original content maps or modes created in the game by players um, are first and foremost the property of Actablaze, meaning that um, players couldn't create their own, say, game modes or maps or what have you using the, the mod kit tools and have it be a massive success a la Dota without Actablaze taking all of the proceeds. Well, uh, see, you, you said it right there. Uh, that's where they're really salty about that because of Dota, because they didn't have that in their terms and conditions in uh, the original Warcraft 3. Right. Which is why they lost out to Valve with Dota, because they were planning on releasing their own Dota, like actual mm -hmm. Dota and not uh, Heroes of the Shitstorm. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, they kind of got fucked by uh, Valve, and I think uh, the, the the guy that made the original Dota, Bullfrog, mm -hmm. who went over to like Valve's side and uh, developed it with them. And they also they initially Heroes of the Storm was supposed to be called the Dota All Stars. Yeah. And I think they lost a court case against Valve for the name. And I I can understand why they're salty, but <laughs> serves them fucking right. Yeah. yeah, we're we're never gonna feel bad about Actabliz, are oh, we? No. no. Nope. Fuck those guys. Well, more specifically, we're never going to feel too bad uh, for Big Bobby. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm, I feel sorry for the devs that work there. Just... Absolutely. Yeah, they they like we we might need to do like a developer appreciation episode at some point, like just yeah. highlighting some of the most talented and passionate people in the industry right now. Like, who aren't, you know, team leads. People who really need to be recognized. Because they are usually the people on these, like, um, projects that end up resolving catastrophically. Saying every step of the way, oh god, no, you can't do this. No, no, don't, you don't know, please, god. <laughs> please stop it. <laughs> that was the general tone, as I understand it, in the CDPR offices during more or less all of Cyberpunk's development. Yeah. Like, no, you, you can't release it this fast. No, we can't make it. What are you doing with the button? Why? No! <laughs> Don't press the button. No, no! Ay, ay, ay. All right. So anything else we want to bring to the table today, folks? Or um, No, I am fine. Um, I think that's it for me as well. Okay. I think I think we're good then. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today for our first freestyle conversational installment of the Overanalyst podcast. We hope you enjoy this format, and please feel free to make use of our website, seththeoverwitch.com, the comments on YouTube, or any of our uh, community discords, or either of our community discords, I should say, um, to let us know what you think of of this format and if there are any smaller issues maybe that don't merit an entire episode of the podcast like focusing on a specific theme that you would like us to discuss during one of these freestyle episodes something that we could like just provide a take on or what have you um again i i do hope you enjoy this because i really really like this this format uh i think it's a nice complement to our deeper episodes and hopefully is something that uh, you'll be just as amenable to. Um, so until next time, thank you so much for tuning in and listening today. 
Um, my name is Brady, the Over Analyst, and I'm joined as always by my good friends Martina or Seth the Overwitch. Bye. And Mate or Comrade Potato. Bye bye. And until next time, thank you so much for listening. Please feel free to follow or subscribe and check out our Twitch streams or Discord servers if you would like to connect with us beyond the episodes. Thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of your day. Goodbye.